Take out your Bibles if you don't already have them out. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, and we are going to Psalms 23. And while y'all are turning there, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you, and Lord, as we come to your word, this is probably a, a section of your word that we all at least know of, if not already have memorized. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be root or, or routine, that it wouldn't be um, unspecial for us, Father God, but I pray that you would speak it to our hearts afresh and anew, re- renew that, that joy that we had when we first came to know you as our Lord and as our shepherd, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would draw us near to you, not because um, you're, you're eagerly awaiting to, to punish and chastise us, Father God, but that you are loving and you care for us and you want to draw us close to you. And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The title of the message tonight is My Shepherd. I say that personally. And I hope each and every one of you can say that personally or by the end of the teaching tonight that you would be able to say that personally. But you need to recognize who your shepherd is. Has it ever crossed your mind why we are compared to sheep in the Bible? Why not something more graceful like birds, like eagles, how they soar? Why, why not something more powerful like, I mean, even like a Mustang horse, right? They're, they're known for their, their power. That They measure car engines against the power of horses. Sheep aren't known for much. Nobody's afraid of a sheep. Nobody's ever been backed into a corner by a sheep and feared for their life. But here's, here's the hint on why we're called sheep. It's not because sheep are just cute and cuddly. But we are called sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. I looked around on the internet. It's a dangerous thing, I know. But I was looking for some interesting reasons why we might be compared to sheep. And what I found is this. Sheep are one of the only animals that cannot care for themselves. They need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, they're done for. They're, they're goners. There's a story about a sheep that got away from its shepherd and away from its flock and spent many times secluded and alone on itself. By the time they found it, it couldn't move. It couldn't walk. It couldn't lift up its head. It had become so overgrown in its wool that when they shaved it, there was 90 pounds of wool that it was carrying, it covered its face, it couldn't see. And that's what sheep are like without a shepherd. They have to be led to good food. Although they are content to start chewing on whatever's around. They have to be led to clean, refreshing water. Although they are perfectly fine drinking from a mud hole. And they will remain dirty unless someone cleans them. They cannot clean themselves. You know how cats clean themselves and dogs and other animals, if they get a wound or whatnot, they'll lick it and heal it. Not sheep. They they can't do that. They will stay dirty until someone cleans them. Sheep also have no sense of direction. They will follow whoever is in front of them. Even if that in front of them is going off of a cliff. You know that saying, if everyone else jumped off a cliff, would you? 
And we're all sheep, and our answer would be yes, we would. In eastern Turkey, there's a uh, news article about 1,500 unattended sheep that fell off a cliff while the shepherds were away eating breakfast. Interestingly enough, the first 400 died. The remaining 1,100 all survived because the first 400 broke their fall. You see, the sheep in the back couldn't see past the sheep in front of them. So they were unaware of what lay ahead. And the sheep in front couldn't stop because the sheep in the back were pushing them forward. And over they went. It's been stated by farmers that if you had a bunch of sheep and you put them in a barn, you stretch a rope across the door. If you only have the first few jump over that rope, you could cut that rope and the rest will jump over it as if it's still there. Because the rest of the flock did it. That kind of brings credence when we say, well, everybody else was doing it. We say that because we're sheep. As I said, sheep are not known for being scary. They're defenseless animals. It's, sheep have been cornered and corralled by squirrels. They're a defenseless animal prone to wander off. They need constant care. Sheep without a shepherd, they're lost. They're without hope of survival, let alone to flourish. Is it any wonder why the prophet Isaiah said, we all went astray like sheep and we have all turned to our own way. Jesus notably had compassion comparing a situation that was happening in his time to that of how sheep are. In Matthew 9:36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Psalm 23 is a psalm from David in which he is acknowledging not only being a sheep, but that as a sheep, he knows who his shepherd is. And that that having a shepherd is what's best for him. We too, as sheep, can have a shepherd. We can have the good shepherd. So let's read Psalm 23 together. And as we go through it, let's Let's learn how we can call him my shepherd. Follow the Lord as our shepherd and trust him. And we'll see that he meets every need and every circumstance that we come across. Starting in verse one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. As we consider the Lord as our shepherd, I want us to see that as our shepherd, we look to God for provision. The sheep don't have to provide for themselves when they have a shepherd. 
That's what David was saying in the first two verses. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, when, the, when David calls the Lord his shepherd, this is the name for God that we have. It's called, his name is Jehovah Racha. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a natural and rather easy comparison for David. We all remember David when he was a young boy, he was a shepherd, right? He was out tending the, the flocks when Samuel came to anoint him as king. It's remarkable to consider that the Lord would even call himself and give himself the title of shepherd. Because in ancient Israel, as well as other societies at that time, and possibly even today, what you'll find is a shepherd's work is considered the lowliest of work. The shepherd was the lowliest of people. If a family needed someone to shepherd, it was always going to be the youngest son. Which is why David was the shepherd. Our great God stooped low and chose the title of shepherd for himself. Chosen to care for you and for me intimately. In Isaiah 40, 11, the prophet writes that he, God, protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers in the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, the Lord says, you are my flock, the human flock of my pasture, and I am your God. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And we would be remiss if we missed what Jesus himself said, where he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. David doesn't recognize the Lord just as a shepherd. He's not saying the Lord is a shepherd. He says the Lord is his shepherd, his personal shepherd caring for him. David declares because the Lord is his shepherd that he has what he needs. When we see that the Lord is our shepherd, we see that he provides everything that we need as well. David is saying that his only need was actually needing a shepherd. Our only need is needing a shepherd. Once we understand we have a need for God and we realize that he is the one that we need and we connect ourselves with him, we have that relationship with him, we have everything else. That's what it meant when, when God said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. This psalm is no comfort to those who are self-sufficient. This psalm is no comfort for those who think that they have need of no one. I'm going to do it myself. I'm strong enough. I can do it on my own. This psalm comforts those who are keenly aware. I am woefully inadequate, unprepared, unequipped, unable. I need a shepherd. And because the Lord is his shepherd, David says, I lack nothing. 
In fact, you can take the inverse of that where he says, I have adequate supply. My needs are met. The fact of God's shepherd's care means the end of unsatisfied need. Now we kind of confuse desire and need. David has all he needs. The Lord will always provide all we need. And the Lord will often take us through times where we can learn this too. I remember back when I worked a corporate job, I was freshly married, almost about to celebrate one year. No, I take that back. Almost about to celebrate two years. I had to think about that. My oldest son was about to celebrate one year and I got called into the HR office. I'd worked at a job for eight and a half years. They just put me through all sorts of training and even kind of sat me down and had the talk. Now that we've given you this training, you should do the right thing and don't leave. Don't search for any other jobs and make more money and all this stuff. So a month later, they, they laid me off. They eliminated my position. And it was during that time that I, I read those passages where the Lord says that he promises food and he promises clothing. Nowhere in there does the Bible promise shelter. He never took away our shelter, but he taught me to trust him for the things that I actually need and not for these things that I just desire. When the Lord is our shepherd, we will find that we have all that we need. All my needs will be supplied. I don't need any more than what the Lord supplies. As sheep, they are completely content with what the shepherd gives them. And that's a hard place to be, right? It's really hard to be content with what God has chosen for us because sometimes what God has chosen and given to us at a specific time, that's not what we would have chosen for ourselves. I mean, how many of us would like to add another zero in our bank account? Well, I need a one in front of it also, at least to give it some. But we, we all feel like we could use a little bit more. But you know what? With the Lord as our shepherd, we have what we need. Check out what David says. David acknowledges. He says, the Lord lets me lie down in green pastures. It sounds as though um, he's saying, I'm happy because he, he lets me rest. He lets me lie down. He lets me rest. But here's the gist of the original language is that he's saying the shepherd makes me lie down. And what that's saying is as a sheep who has a shepherd, the shepherd knows when we need rest and he will make us lie down if needed. So the sheep, you, you lead them into a green pasture but if you don't take care of certain things, the, the sheep can't, they don't always know what's best for itself. And sometimes it'll stand for, for longer than it should be. And so the shepherd has to come and help. And so he's going to make us lie down. But he doesn't make us lay down in wasteland, right? He doesn't make us lie down on tumbleweeds. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, lush fields. And here's, rest doesn't come easy for sheep, right? We can attest to that. Rest doesn't come easy for us. We're always about the next thing. We always have something else on our schedule, something else popping up on our to-do list. But here, here's, sheep will not lie down unless there's four conditions that are met. They will not lie down when they're afraid. 
They will not lie down if there's friction with other sheep. Yeah, sheep have problems with other sheep. They will not lie down if there's flies or parasites that are troubling them. And when the sheep are anxious for food or they're hungry, they will not lie down. What's the difference between the two? They, they can tell when their food source is running out and they will start to get antsy. Or if they've been walking a long time and they haven't eaten yet, they won't rest because they're hungry. Sounds a lot like us, right? I mean, the Lord couldn't have picked a better animal to compare us to. But here's what happens. Rest comes when the shepherd has dealt with the fear, the friction, the flies, and the food, right? And food for sheep is grass. We don't eat grass. Not even wheatgrass. We stay away from that. But food for David and food for those who consider themselves the sheep of God is the word of God. Hebrews 5.12, the writer of Hebrews says, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. And he compares it to food. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he's an infant. In verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained up to distinguish between good and evil. So as we consume the word of God, that's our food, that's our nourishment. And you can even say that's our spiritual nourishment. And God is our shepherd. We'll make sure that we have a steady diet of it, right? He didn't hide his word from us. He could have, he could have said, you know what? You need to go figure out my word. And here's a, uh, you guys ever done uh, the cryptographs in the, in the newspaper? The, the crypto quotes, that's what they're called. Those were always my favorite puzzle. You had to figure out what it was trying to say. Some of them, I swear, are unsolvable. But God didn't do that. He gave us his word plain. He revealed his, his word to us, gave it to us, made sure that we had it. Because like newborn infants, we need to desire the pure milk of the word. And that by that, we grow up, we become strong, we become nourished. Being saved isn't enough. We must be nourished by the word of God. And so a shepherd will lead sheep to fresh grass and the Lord will lead his people to the same. The Lord's people will never lack for food when they follow the Lord, when they lie down in the green pastures, when they have the word of God open to them. You will never starve to know what God wants, what God desires for you, as long as you stay in his word. Rest in the word of God, meditate on the food that it bears, and God will prepare green pastures for you every time his word is preached by those whom he's called to preach it. You see, in John 21, 15, we get an idea of this. When, when Jesus is restoring Peter after he failed and denied Christ, it's an interesting thing that he compares what he's restoring Peter to. It says, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said and asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah and son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. And Jesus' response, feed my lambs. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Then he says, shepherd my sheep. 
And he asked him for a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he had asked him a third time. Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says again, feed my sheep. I want you to notice he's not repeating feed my, feed my sheep again. The first time he said, feed my lambs, feed those who are immature and feed those who are mature, feed the mature sheep. But he's making sure that there's a shepherd to feed his sheep. Refreshment is provided because the Lord is our shepherd also will lead us beside quiet waters. What it means by quiet waters is these are still waters. They're peaceful. They're calm. These are not your white roaring rapids that you would go down inner tubing and, and uh, white water rafting upon. They're still waters. They're peaceful. They're calm. And a, and a shepherd has to provide calm waters for rest, refreshment, and cleansing of the sheep. The shepherds have been known to actually, if the water is too quick, they will temporarily dam a stream that was flowing too fast so that the sheep would drink from it. Because if it's flowing too fast, the sheep won't even try to drink from it. And in the same way, the Lord ensures that we will be restored and we'll be refreshed in our souls. As sheep, we find ourselves needing refreshment from time to time. You know, as, as sheep, as it gets its wool and whatnot, it's, it's wool... Every time it sits down or lays down, it gets dirty. The dust clings to it. The, the grass clings to it. If it was in El Paso, all the, the goat heads would cling to it. They don't brush themselves off. They can't scratch themselves like other animals that have. They, they can't clean themselves. When they lay down in their excrement, it sticks to them. It stays with them. It has to be washed off, and the shepherd is the one who washes it off with these waters. We find ourselves in need of refreshment from time to time, and it's because we walk in a wearying and exhausting world, right? As we go out in this world, we get covered in filth. We, we walk through this world in filth. It's like when Jesus was talking to the disciples in the upper room. He says, you need to, from time to time, have your feet washed, Peter says, no, Lord, you got to wash all of me. And remember, he said, no, you've already been cleansed. All you need is your feet washed. That's because we walk through a world that is full of filth. And on top of that, we need refreshment because our fellow sheep can wear us out and dry us up. As well-intentioned as we all are and as loving as we all try to be, we, we tend to wear on each other. We know that the Lord does this through his word. Ephesians 5.26, we, we usually go to this in, in marriage counseling and things like that, but it talks about cleansing the bride with the washing of water by the word. It's God's word that cleanses us, cleanses our heart, cleanses our mind, cleanses our hands and our feet with our actions. Titus 3.5 says he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Lord as our shepherd, he provides us with rest, food, 
and refreshment. And that's why, like David, we need to come to the point where we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. As our shepherd, we look to God for direction. Verse three and four. He renews my life and he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake, even when I go through the darkest valley. He renews my life, the psalmist says. Literally, he restores my life. Sheep, again, are not the brightest of animals and most capable of animals. There is a point in which they can turn over on their back and they are much like a turtle. If someone doesn't come around and flip them back over, they will die. And all they can do is flail and kick their legs in the air. It's called, an old English term for that that the uh, shepherds would use is called cast down. A cast sheep, it's the most pitiful thing. Without any outside help, the sheep will die from predators or from being left behind when the flock moves on. It needs a shepherd to put it back on its feet. It needs a shepherd to renew its life. How many times can we relate to that in our own life that we've been cast down, flailing on our backs, just just going, I, I can't seem to get anywhere. I can't seem to move. I don't know what's going on here, but I know that if I stay here, I'm going to die. We, like sheep, are prone to stray. We're prone to wander. We find ourselves on our backs constantly. But I want you to know something. A, a sheep that strays is still a sheep. And the Lord cares for all of his sheep. Jesus talked in Matthew 18 about the one sheep. He says, what do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go search for the stray? When you're cast down on your back and you feel like the flock has moved ahead of you, that's when the Lord is coming back to look for you. He will put you back on your feet. He will renew your life. He will restore you. He cares about each and every one of you. My mom, growing up, had a magnet on the fridge that says, he cares for you. And it was spelled E-W-E. And it was in the shape of a sheep. As sheep, he cares for each one of us. He is the good shepherd. He does not lose any sheep. And he does not leave any sheep behind. David continues on. He says, he leads me along the right paths. That's awesome to know, right? How many of us are worried about, well, what decision should I make? What should I do? Where should I go? How do I know I'm making the right choice here? How do I know I'm on the right path? I mean, even in driving, right? I was, I was just talking about this the other day that, uh, Gosh, I'll date, I'll date myself. 16 years ago, I was with um, Daniel Rodriguez from Sun City, and we did the youth group together. And we had gotten together after work to go to Mexico because one of the churches in Mexico had Delirious coming. You know that song that we sang, um, 
Yeah, I've, I've forgot the name of the song. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Anyway, they were a great worship band. We loved seeing them. We went to go find them, and, and I was talking with my wife, and I was telling her, we never got a chance to see them. We, we showed up for the last eight notes because we got lost. This was before GPS, and here's all we had to go on. Every corner in, in, over there, it seems there's an auto zone. And we would stop at every auto zone and ask for directions. And we just got so lost and turned around, it was crazy. It's scary when you don't know where you're going. And it's also scarier when you don't know where you are. Sheep need a shepherd because the shepherd is their guide. He is our navigational help. And it says that he will lead us along the right paths. Sheep can't find green pastures on their own. They will settle for less also. If, they pat, if they're walking in the desert and there's one patch of grass right there, they will stop right there if left to themselves. And they'll be 20 yards ahead. There could be a full meadow of overgrown grass and they'll stop here going, well, this is all I got. It takes a shepherd to push them on and say, we got to get that way and pushing them along. They will also stop at the first muddy puddle of water and they will drink that filth and that grit, not knowing that just ahead is a cool, refreshing pool of water. But the good shepherd knows the paths for nourishment, knows the paths for our safety. And the good shepherd will guide and lead his sheep to what it is that they need. And it's interesting that it says, he leads me. Sheep are not cattle. You drive cattle. Sheep need to be led. And in order to lead sheep, it takes a shepherd. The sheep don't know where the grass and the water is. They don't know which direction they're going. You know what they're looking for every time they're walking around, going from field to stream to wherever? Where's my shepherd? They're not worried about where's the water, where's the food. Where's my shepherd? That just has so much wisdom for us. We don't need to know the path. We just need to follow our shepherd knowing he's bringing us to what we need. The Lord will guide his sheep along the right path. He will guide his sheep along the right way. It relates to how we live, how we live according to the path that the Lord guides us on. It's the path of righteousness. He will lead us in all righteousness. We don't have to wonder what righteousness is. He leads us in it. We don't lack direction. We don't lack guidance because we're led on these paths of righteousness. We, we worry ourselves as sheep with the question of, well, what's the Lord's will? How do I find the Lord's will? What do I need to do for the Lord's will? And it's as simple as this. He is our shepherd and he will lead us. We don't need to worry about finding the Lord's will. Let us be concerned with following the Lord closely because our problem is, is not in his guidance. It's in our closeness. When you're close to the Lord, he leads you. 
The further away you are from the Lord, the more worried you are because you can't see where he's guiding. The closeness we walk with, the closeness we have in the direction and the leading of his word and his commands, how we follow his commands, how we follow his word, that determines our guidance and our closeness with him. And I want you to see something else. It says that he leads us down the right paths. And then in verse four, it starts off, it says, even when I go through the darkest valley. Did you know that you can be on the, light, on the right path even in the darkest valley? Sheep do not like to walk in dark valleys. They can't see very well and the shadow area makes it hard for them to see. But oftentimes the dark valleys are where there's great sustenance and nourishment and the shepherds have to lead them there and when our shepherd leads us here, he's still guiding us in the right way and on the right paths. It doesn't feel right, but it is right. And oftentimes it's good for us. When, when I got laid off from my job, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. But I, I learned to trust the Lord in such a new and, and fresh way. And, and I, I've carried that trust even through it's it, what led me the second time I got laid off from the same job. Fool me one, shame on me. Fool me twice. You know, um, the second time I got laid off, I had no fear. I had no worry. I was able to not only trust the Lord, but it was at the same time he was calling me to trust him to come here full time. If without that first experience, I can't say I would have enough faith to trust in the second experience. Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We need to trust that our shepherd is working all things in our life for the good of those who love him. It doesn't ever seem like good, not always, but he will work it for our good. And James he said, consider a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. The Lord brings us through testing, and it can seem like a dark valley, but it's still yet the right path. Take comfort in what he says, where he leads me along the right paths, Verse three, for his name's sake. The way that a shepherd cared for its sheep, the way that a shepherd kept all the sheep, never losing any of them, gave the shepherd a name. They were either trustworthy or they were poor. You, you don't hire that shepherd, he loses sheep. Don't hire that shepherd, your sheep are as good as done for. The Lord loses no sheep for his namesake. There will never be anybody who says, yeah, well, the Lord couldn't keep this guy and the Lord couldn't keep that guy. No, everyone who's the Lord's, he keeps. He does it for his reputation. He does it for his recognition. As a shepherd, your reputation is all you have. How much more so for the almighty God of the 
world and universe that wants people to understand that he's the good shepherd. He has a reputation when he cares for the sheep that he's not a hireling. A hireling, when the trouble comes, leaves and the sheep are slaughtered. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. He's lost none of them. He even left the 99 to come and get you and to come and get me. When the Lord is our shepherd, we look to him for our safety. We, we can buy all the locks we want for our doors. We can put all the fancy alarm equipment. We can do all those things. We put cameras up. And you know how much safety that that guarantees you? Absolutely nothing. Can't stop earthquakes. Can't stop fires. Can't stop any of that. All it, those things will do, they don't keep the danger away. They just tell you danger's coming. But in verse four, it says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It says, even when I go through the darkest valley, we talked about that in one sense, that it's still the right path, but in the darkest valley, it feels like a dark valley, right? We're, we feel as good as done for, we're, we're in the worst way. Who knows what kind of dangers around? Who knows what things we're facing? Dark Valley could be a, a, a terrible diagnosis that comes. It could be a tragedy that hits the family and now you're in a dark valley and, and there's all sorts of reason to fear. But as David says, when the Lord is your shepherd, you do not fear. We're still going to walk through the darkest valleys with the Lord as our shepherd. We, we, he, he doesn't stop that. Most people focus on this part of the psalm. This is the part of the psalm that everybody knows. Um, As I walk through the valley of a shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. That's the King James Version. It's recited worldwide probably at funerals. It's worth mentioning again that we're going to walk through the darkest valleys because life is not always green pastures and calm waters. There's going to be deep, dark valleys. The valleys may be deep and they may be dark, but they do lead to cooler streams. They do lead to oftentimes greener pastures. But in that valley, we can't see how that's possible. David himself is describing a dark, fearful experience. This is not a mountaintop experience. You know, we love those mountaintop experiences. Man, I feel so close to God. I feel like I could take on the world. When you're in the valley, you're like, I feel like the world is trying to take me on. And I feel like I'm all by myself. It's not a broad meadow either where you're out in the open, but it's nice and comfortable. And the ground beneath your feet is nice and soft. A valley has that feeling that you're hedged in, you're surrounded. As I said, other translators call this the shadow of death. And a couple of things to note when we consider that. 
It is the valley of a shadow of death. It is no longer the substance of death itself. And the second thing to note is it says, I go through the valley of a shadow of death. It doesn't say I remain there. It doesn't say I set up camp there. It doesn't say I live there, that he leaves me there. Because it's not the destination. David declares that in this place and on this journey, in this path, he will fear no danger for the sole reason his shepherd is with him. He has no fear. He has no dread. There's no scared feeling, no frightened, no worry of danger, no worry of any evil or harm coming to him. And like David, we have to know that we're going to have those dark valleys. We're going to have those times. We're going to, the darkest is going to be the shadow of death. I don't know about you. I don't know a whole lot about death. I've never experienced it. I've known people who've experienced it that I was close to. But I myself have never experienced it. I don't know what happens after death per se. This psalm is a comfort at funerals because it applies specifically to death. But while it applies to death, it applies not only to death, but it applies to anything that is gloomy, that has calamity, that has tragedy. Everything in between is covered here. But even in death, when the Lord is your shepherd, it's going to be okay. Because death is like going through a valley you will come out of it on the other side. Spurgeon said, death is not the house, it's the porch as you go into the house. It is the shadow of death, not the power of death. It's but a shadow. A shadow can do nothing to you. A shadow can do no harm. A shadow cannot hurt. It's only the shadow of death because Jesus took away the sting of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55, it says, where death is your victory, where death is your sting. Because the sting of death was sin and the power of sin was the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I've heard a lot of people talk um, and I've talked with people that have been diagnosed terminal. And the, if you've ever known anybody like that, what you realize very quickly is the one who is diagnosed terminal is usually the first one who's okay with it. It takes the rest of everybody else around them to be okay with it. And here's what I believe, and here's what I think the Bible teaches, that there is a grace, a special grace given when you are in that valley of the shadow of death. And we won't get that dying grace until we need it. That's why death grips us with fear. We, we don't know what happens on the other side. But when we're in that time, we know that there's glimpses of what happens at people's death. We know that Stephen the martyr, as he was martyred, his eyes looked up towards heaven and he saw Jesus right there, welcoming him into glory. So we know that as we cross from this life to death, our shepherd is there to lead us through the valley of a shadow of death. 
And the fact remains that death has lost its terror for us because we know that dying means going to be with Christ. As Paul said, to die is gain. Comfort and security is found in the shepherd's presence, no matter the circumstance. Notice here, it changes from he to you. No longer does he say he leads me, but he says, I fear no danger because you are with me. The shepherd is now referred to in first person. And as we consider that, I'm reminded of a, uh, of a story There was a sick man. He turned to his doctor as he was preparing to leave the examination room. He was just declared terminal. And he said, doctor, I'm afraid to die. Tell me what lies on the other side. Very somberly, very quietly, the doctor said, I don't know. You don't know? You're a Christian man and you don't know what's on the other side? The doctor was holding the handle of the door. On the other side came the sound of scratching and whining. And as he opened the door, a dog sprang into the room with his tail wagging, eagerly showing gladness to be in the presence of his master. Turning to the patient, the doctor said, did you notice my dog? He's never been in this room before. He didn't know what was inside this room. He knew nothing except that his master was here. And when the door opened, he sprang into it without fear. I know little of what is on the other side of death, but I know one thing. My master is there, and that's enough. For you are with me, he declares. Our shepherd being with us also carries two pieces of equipment. They're with him always. One is his rod and the other is his staff. They provide comfort, care, and security for his sheep. You see, the rod is actually a club. It's used for protecting the sheep from wild animals that would seek to harm them. Shepherds are to protect their flock. The whole flock examined as they go into the be bedded down. As they go through the opening, the shepherd's examining them. And finally, after they're all in, the shepherd literally physically becomes the door. His body becomes what keeps the sheep in the pen and the dangers out at night. No sheep can wander into danger because it would have to go over the shepherd's body. Wolves and robbers could not enter in to harm the flock only over the dead body of the shepherd. Some claim that even in modern times, mourning will occasionally find scattered sheep without a shepherd. But upon investigation, there's a bleeding battle-worn shepherd often found somewhere nearby, sometimes even a dead one. The shepherd would literally lay down his life for the sheep. This is the importance of what Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. The staff that the shepherd carries is for correction. And correction is needed from time to time. If we're honest, we need some correction from time to time. And a shepherd 
however, will use suffering as a last resort to get a sheep to obey in order that the sheep would not lose its life. There's a woman visiting Switzerland came to a sheepfold on one of her daily walks. Venturing in, she saw, she saw the shepherd seated on the ground and his flock was all around him. Nearby in a pile of straw lay a single sheep and it appeared to be suffering. Looking closely, the woman saw that its leg was broken. Her sympathy went out to that poor suffering sheep and she looked inquiringly to the shepherd and asked, what happened? The shepherd said, I broke the sheep's leg. And he explained, of all the sheep in my flock, that was the most wayward one. It would not obey my voice. It would not follow when I was leading. On more than one occasion, it wandered off to the edge of a cliff and not only was it disobedient, it was leading other sheep astray. Based on my experience with this kind of sheep, I knew I had no choice. And so with my staff for correction, I broke its leg. The next day I tried to bring food, but it tried to bite me. After letting it lie alone for a couple of days, I went back and not only eagerly took the food, but it also licked my hand and showed every sign of submission and affection. And now let me say this, when the sheep is well, it will be a model sheep for my entire flock. No sheep will hear my voice or follow more closely. Instead of leading the others away, it will be an example of devotion and obedience. In short, a complete change will come into the life of this wayward sheep. It will learn obedience through its suffering and discipline. And such is a lot of us that the Lord has had to chastise, chase down, and break our leg so that we would not wander off from him. Revelation 3.19, the Lord Jesus said, As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. As he is our shepherd, we also as sheep get to rejoice in his grace. We're going to see a change in picture here where it goes from a sheep fold to the master's house. In verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. John R. Stott, a great Bible commentator, uh, terrible in his eschatology, though. He's a, an annihilationist, meaning he just thinks that everything's going to be wiped out. Um, but he says that there's a distinct scene change here. He's no longer outdoors. I'm now indoors, and I'm no longer a sheep, but I am a guest at a banquet. And we can take that further because we are not mere guests in the house of the Lord. We are his children, and he calls us friends. David describes the scene at the house where God goes from shepherd to gracious host, but the similarity, you have to see the similarity. As the shepherd cares for the sheep, the host cares for those who are in his house. His reputation was predicated upon it. The shepherd cares for his sheep. The host cares for those in his home. And I see David here picturing his care as a sheep up to and through the valley of a shadow of death. And now this is the house on the other side. He's gone through the porch into the house. 
lavish hospitality David sees before him, faced by his enemies, yet there's a table that the Lord prepared for him. How many times in the face of our trouble do we get the sense that the Lord has prepared a banquet for us? We feel hedged in on all sides by our enemies, yet somehow in the presence of the Lord, there's this peace, there's this comfort, there's this blessing in the midst of trial. Notice that it's a full table planned and prepared ahead of time, yet for David personally. See yourself there, every, every one of us. The Lord has prepared a table for us personally with much forethought. And despite the danger, the Lord is with him, yet the Lord is in the danger providing for him in the presence of his enemies. Essentially saying, you guys better watch out. I'm, I'm the one providing for this one. I'm caring for this one. But notice that the Lord's provision, the Lord's table, does not eliminate the presence of enemies in this life. But it does show us the blessing and goodness can be experienced even in the midst. God's provisions are both constant and abundant. And this shows that we can have them in every circumstance and in every situation. There is nothing that we will go through in this life that precludes us from experiencing God's blessing. God's care cannot be negated and it cannot be destroyed by any of our enemies. In the care of the Lord, we can even feast while our enemies are yet snarling. And David then goes on, he says, you anoint my head with oil. This has a connection to sheep. Remember when I talked about how the sheep would be troubled by the flies and the parasites? Well, you would anoint the sheep with oil and it would keep those away. But it also has a, con a connection with being consecrated and dedicated as well. Oil was used on sheep to keep the bugs away that would irritate it and cause anxiety and prevent them from resting. But oil was also used to anoint and consecrate those whom the Lord has chosen and has set apart for his own good use. And David says, my cup overflows. This speaks of the abundance of God's blessing. Your cup cannot hold all of what God wants to pour out upon you. Anointing in a full cup was also customary. As you receive those into your house, it signifies that everything that is in that house is at your beck and call. It's kind of like when somebody says, hey, come on in, and if you see anything in the fridge you want, you help yourself to it. They would anoint your head with the finest oil, and they would fill your cup till it was overflowing, saying, I have plenty. Come in and enjoy. He says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Know this, God's blessing will remain upon you all the days of your life. And when you dwell in the house of the Lord, you will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life. Despite the worldwide popularity of this psalm, it is not a psalm for everyone because it's only applicable to those who call the Lord their shepherd. 
We all know this psalm. It's familiar to us all. But do we know the shepherd? Do we know his provision? Do we know his direction? Do we know his safety and his grace in our life? The good shepherd laid down his life for all the sheep. He died for everyone, but only those who receive him as their shepherd in faith are his sheep. He says, my sheep know me, they hear my voice and they follow me. Do you hear him when he speaks? As you read his word, as you spend time in his word and he's speaking, do we hear him? You see, everything in this psalm hinges upon that pronoun, my. He has to be your personal shepherd. And the provisions that it describes of in this life, understand that they are just a small foretaste of what awaits us in glory. The table here is in the presence of enemies. We're told that there is a table being prepared for us that is known as the marriage feast of the Lamb. That one takes place. You know why we're raptured? Because that table is not in the presence of our enemies. We will be taken away from the presence of our enemies. We will feast with no enemies present. And when that happens, it will be everlasting. We will be with our shepherd we will see face to face the one who constantly came, picked us up when we were flat on our back, and put us back on our feet. We'll see the one who anointed us to keep those troublesome things out of our face. We'll see the one who protected us by laying his own life down to keep us in and keep danger out. We will meet face to face the one who leads us through all of the valleys so that we can get to the green pastures, the still waters, so that we can be with him in everlasting glory on the other side of eternity. As we know him as our own personal shepherd. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, Lord. And Father, as we consider... The words of David as he wrote this psalm, we know that David wrote this psalm with you completely in mind, Father God. But we know that this psalm applies to more than just him. We know it applies to us, and we know that you are the good shepherd. Father, I pray for each of us here tonight. If we don't know you as our personal shepherd, Lord, that we as sheep would come and say, I need a shepherd. I'm a sheep. I can't take care of myself. Maybe there's some of us here that are flat on our back right now and we don't know how to get back up. Father, I pray that your spirit would guide them to come and call upon their shepherd. For you hear our bleeding. You hear us when we call. Lord, I pray that we would call out to you for our shepherd, that we would no longer walk in fear, but we would walk confident knowing that you are our shepherd and we have nothing to fear because you are with us. 
Help us to find comfort even in your correction, Father. Even if you have to break our leg. You don't do it because you find pleasure in it. You do it because you know it's for our good. Father, help us to come through the porch into the house where you've prepared that table for us and your abundant blessings flow over us. The only way that we do that is by calling upon the good shepherd, your son, Jesus, who you sent to die on the cross. Through him, we find the forgiveness of our sins. And as we follow him, we become his sheep. Incline us to hear his voice, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.